We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. Episode number 47 of Lion Legacy. We are getting close to our 50th episode. Yeah, we got to so figure out what we're doing for 50. We got to do I something know. special. What it was that with gold? Is it gold? I don't know. Ross, you should get me something gold. Like okay, this. gold. All right. All right. <laughs> Send me your Amazon wish list. Yeah, exactly. Hey, speaking of numbers, though, I'm going to give you one 15 million six thousand one hundred and thirty two dollars and 46 cents it's a lot of pennies a lot of pennies it is a lot of pennies hey the 2023 dance marathon come on 15 million that's just what do you say that's phenomenal uh, what were you when we were there was it like four million which no, we were no wasn't it no like, I, I, I thought it was more i think they were like nine or something weren't they or no I'm no i don't think so we didn't I, it was a lot less it was a lot less <laughs> I don't remember. We graduated but... a long time ago, Ross. You know, we were years. six. Maybe they were like the sixes when we were there. We'll have to we'll have to fact check with yeah. your wife, Jessica, because she yeah. danced senior year, right? Yes. But no, that's great. 15 million, just unbelievable. You know what's funny? You ever we used to always think like they could never go higher, right? Like they, yeah. they reach they reach X million dollars and you're like, there's no way they could go higher. And then they find a way to raise even more. And it's just such a feel-good story. It is. Yeah. Such a prideful moment for all Penn Staters. That's right. And just great to follow along and see the students. The one thing that's changed, I think, two things. One, the location. Yep. That used to be when we were there, it was in Rec Hall. Yep. And then two, we went from 48 to 46. That's I'm, right. I'm not too sure what the reason was at some point. but It's had something to do with the, I don't know, when it finished up at, what, 6 p.m. on Sunday. It was turning the location over, getting the students back, getting them yeah. rested, go to class the next day. And I think if they ended a little earlier, it was a little more manageable. I don't I could be wrong on that. Okay. We'll go with yeah. it. Yeah. We'll go with it. We don't have a fact checker like our guest that we have on today. That's that's ah oh, good segue. Good segue. Hey, we spoke with Emily Share. She works at today.com of Today Show Fame, NBC. Really cool stuff. She's in on the editorial side. She has been on the journalistic side, so we get into that. I find that fascinating. Fun fact, I know this is not about me, it's about her, but if I didn't go to my line of work, I've always would have if I could have done something else, I would have been a journalist. You would have been a great journalist, Ross. Maybe in my next lifetime. I, I do podcasts on the side. As, you do podcasts. You know, and to, you, you started very, very shortly after, right? After we graduated. Yeah. With a blog, right? Oh, I said, no, that's a story for another day. Let's come a back. Story for another one. I'm going to put a pin in that one, Jared, about my <laughs> blog. Maybe let's, for another episode, we'll get into my blog. Because that, I could, I, I had some good stories there. I was way ahead of my time. I love Again, it. this is not about me. It's about Emily. But no, we, we're going to get into her career, what it means and what she does as being an editor, her new venture that she's got with today.com. I, today's show is always one of my, I will admit, I don't really watch it too much anymore, but you got to appreciate a morning program several hours long. And they're talking about like the hard hitting news, right? Current events, world news. And then as the hours go by there, it's more of the lighter side, right? And just a quick shout out as well, Marissa Barchow, good friend who I've met the past year through my fiance, Allie, Maryland grad, 
but knows a lot of Penn Staters. She actually recommended Emily to us. Small world, right? Jamie, your sister, also knows Emily from yep. Penn State, even yep. prior to Penn State. So always good to to connect the dots. But thanks to Marissa for suggesting Emily. That's right. It is a small world. So let's get on with our conversation. Today, we're speaking with Emily Scherer. All right. Let's welcome Emily Scherer, a 2009 graduate with a degree in journalism. Emily works for Today.com, where she recently became senior parents editor. She's worn a few different hats at Today.com, including senior editor of Style, Home, and News and Trending. Prior to Today.com, Emily was at Now This News and Urban Daddy. She's also held internships at the Daily News, the New York Times, and Harper's Bazaar. Emily, excited to dive in with you. Thanks for joining us on Lion Legacy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Emily, nice to meet you, and thanks for joining us. And congratulations on the new role. So you're now on Today.com as the senior parents editor. So tell us more about it. What's going on with the new gig? Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I'm a new mom. I just celebrated my son's first birthday. But parent is a really big section for the Today Show, for Today.com. As you can imagine, we have a lot of parents who watch the show and who read us online. So I'm excited to use all this knowledge and Googling and late night searches and actually put it towards some actual work and brain by brain power to actually have something real to show for it. So yeah, I'm joining this team that's been established a long time ago, but it's been growing and I'm just excited to dive in. So it's been two weeks now that I've been on the parents team. So it's really brand new. Yes, <laughs> very new. Excellent. And then, so how long have you been with the Today Show umbrella, if you will? Yeah, I've worked at Today for almost a decade which is wild. But yeah, I really found a work home at NBC and today specifically. I just, I love the brand. I love the people I work with. And I've gotten the opportunity to wear so many different hats and follow my passions. And I don't think that you can ask for more than that when it comes to work. And is there so any coordination between the show and .com? Like, how does that work? Oh, definitely. And there's a lot of overlap and I love the producers. I work with them all the time. I've actually had the opportunity to go on the show a few times, which has been really exciting. The studio is so much fun and getting to go to the green rooms and the control room. And so we very much have our own spaces and our own domains, but then we really overlap and we can really support each other because sometimes there's just a way to tell a story on broadcast that's a different way to tell a story on digital. And with digital, we have so many different tools. We have video, we have GIFs, we have social media embeds. So it's a nice way to support each other. And give us a bit of a, I would say, a preview or understanding, like specifically about your role as an editor. How are you working with the journalists? What does that all entail? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like journalist is this umbrella term. And for the most part, when it comes to what used to be print, but when it comes to digital or actual articles and stories versus broadcast, there's two types. There's the reporter writer and there's the editor. I really fell in love with editing at Penn State. I would have told you that I was going to be a reporter or a writer. I had to take an editing class to fulfill my journalism degree, and I fell in love with it. What I love about being an editor is just having that control over the story. You get to decide what the angle is. You get to write the headline. You get to 
work with the art and media team to figure out what the image is going to be, what the video is going to be, what the other elements are. You can direct the reporter in terms of who they talk to or where they should add more information. So it's this more aerial view overarching of the whole story from start to finish. And you get to make sure that the story looks perfect, fact check, check every single aspect of it and just put the final stamp on it. So that's what I really love to do and just think big picture and do a lot of big picture projects. And you're coming up with the ideas, but are there times where the journalists are pitching you on topics? How does that dynamic work? Definitely. Yeah, it really works both ways and it depends on how the team is structured. But for the most part, I just love when reporters come and pitch to me and say, hey, I have this great idea and then we can really workshop it together. Sometimes it's just a story. I have this concept and I really want to find the right writer or reporter who can make it happen. Um, and like I said, I really do love the big projects too, when it's a series or a tentpole event. So for example, today's International Women's Day, we did for International Day of the Girl, we made this list of 18 under 18 that you need to know. And we found these incredible girls and I had different writers who interviewed each one of them and asked them a few really cool questions. And then we brought them on the show and Savannah had them on the plaza and gave them this like really cool day and gave each of them like a basket to help them achieve their dreams. So there's those kinds of things that's hard to do when you're just like a single individual reporter, but as an editor, you can pull all those pieces together. That's great. I want to stick on that topic or that theme. So for that story and that, I guess that whole thing went beyond just a story. Like when did you start working on that? Was that... <laughs> Weeks ago, months ago, days ago? Yeah, so it really depends. I love working in advance. That's also the editor mindset is just, I love to be able to think ahead like that, especially back when I thought I would be working at like a print magazine. They work very much in advance. You mentioned that I had an internship at Harper's Bazaar. I worked over the summer and I was carrying fur coats through the subway in New York City because that's what we were shooting for. We're definitely thinking ahead all the time and thinking what months are ahead. But working in the digital space, you're also always working within the minute of what's going on as well. So there's, of course, the breaking news and then there's what's trending right now. And every as the minute a new, a new story breaks, you're kind of already late. There's this saying that journalists like to say that it's the industry of hurry up and wait. So you prepare as much as possible. You write, you pre-write a story in case something happens. You gather all your information and then you wait for the event to happen or something happens and you just have to jump on it. The timing is always a big part of it. You mentioned Harper's Bazaar and we were going to ask you a question about that internship experience. Anytime I hear fashion and journalism, I think many of us immediately go to the Devil Wears Prada and Anne Hathaway's role. I know it was at Vogue, right? Or it was supposed to be at Vogue. But any interesting stories being an intern in that industry? <laughs> it's funny that you say that. I love that movie, by the way. <laughs> I definitely had my little Anne Hathaway haircut at the time, too. I think I literally <laughs> brought her picture to the hair salon. There were... It's in some ways it's totally different. It's such, it's so much a job. Nobody's letting you just put the clothes on in that closet, but in some ways it's like the movie, that closet is incredible. There's all of those clothes that you see and all that drama. 
elegance and and chic clothes all of that's really cool and the free stuff that's definitely real and true but one thing i thought was interesting thinking about that question is just at the time i remember one of the editors sat us down and said that we needed to wear heels every single day and part of our job was literally running out in the subway and picking up these clothes from the different fashion houses and literally traveling all over new york city and carrying them ourselves back and we would like in the hall in the lobby of the Hearst building like quickly change our shoes and brush off the sweat in the subway and try to come back in and look like we were put together i went back to the Hearst building years later working at today because we were producing a segment with one of the Hearst editors and i noticed that everybody in the closet was wearing sneakers because fashion has changed so much in that time and fashion journalism and what's in style has changed in terms of streetwear and sneakers and what's deemed cool. But I think also just fashion has become so much more inclusive and so much more about people's individual styles. As much as I don't work in that space anymore, I think fashion and the industry has come a really long way. It still has ways to go to really reach that inclusivity, but it's been really nice to see how much it really has changed. And one thing I am really proud of that I worked on at today.com for our style page is a lot of this content around embracing how you look and who you are. We did a whole series called Curl Power. It might not seem like a big deal, but for a lot of people, their curly hair felt like something they had to hide and something they had to change. People felt like they weren't professional. They didn't straighten their curly hair and their natural texture. We did a whole series called Why I Love My, and we interviewed a ton of celebrities. And it was amazing to me where they shared something that they felt self-conscious, felt, excuse me, felt self-conscious about the way that they looked and how they learned to embrace it. So we had Leah Michelle talked about her nose and how Barbara Streisand is her idol and she would never change her nose, but how she was encouraged to for so many years on her way up. So that was a really cool series. I spoke to a lot of really amazing people. Allie Raisman, the Olympian, how she was told that her arms looked manly and she would be made fun of in school. She's a gold medalist. I believe a hero with everything that happened with the USA gymnasts. So it's just interesting that like even these people have things that they're self-conscious about. Emily, I want to go back to what, something we talked about a few minutes ago with the relationship between you as an editor and the journalist. And I think about some of the fictional TV shows, right? Like one of my favorites from years ago, it was The Newsroom with Jeff Daniels. I think about that. And I think I'm trying to remember, I watched The Morning Show, the one with Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell. But I'm trying to think like the dynamic that is portrayed in on television as far as the editor and journalist relationship. And where I'm going with this is it's portrayed as like a very trusting relationship right reporters that are have worked with their editors for a long time they trust them both ways right the trust goes both ways how important is it that you have trust there so that you know you're the journalist you're working with trust the direction that you want to take a story or a project and vice versa as jared said earlier they're pitching you and you perhaps take a chance on something that they're going with that's such an excellent question and really insightful Trust is such an important part of it because at the end of the day, as much as I love the control of being an editor, the story is the byline of the writer and the reporter. And I'm the person who's pressing publish. So they are trusting me because 
I'm the one who's putting it out there in the world and it's their words, but there's a lot of communication and a lot of back and forth. And that's, I think the part that a lot of people don't see about journalism is how much we really get into the weeds about everything. The, I, I wish sometimes that people could see the, just transparently the conversations we have about what might seem like the most minute details, especially when it comes to stories that are about people and their lives. Now that I'm working on parenting content, it's really personal, it's people's families. So it might be a viral TikTok video of something cute that someone's kid did, but this is their child. So if they spell Michelle with one L instead of two L's, that means the world to them if it's incorrect on the story. It's interesting because as an editor, you're making sure that the grammar is correct, that everything reads correctly, that the facts are correct, but you also want to convey the story and nobody knows that story better than the reporter. So the, honestly, the best relationships are the ones where people are just communicating back and forth and looking at it over together and landing on the same thing. And there are definitely disagreements, but that's what makes the best content at the end of the day is just having that communication and being able to talk to each other about it. And that's, I think, why I've stayed at today.com for as long as I have, because we have such an amazing team and everyone is so dedicated, but so kind. So it's really, everybody wants every the content to be the best at the end of the day, but we trust each other and we work really closely together to reach that goal. We take every single thing so seriously. So even those silly, if it's a fun, silly viral TikTok, we wanna talk to that person, anybody else who's involved in it. We wanna make sure the story's correct and told the right way and that the people who are featured in it, if it's something light, that they feel like really proud to share that and to say that they were on today. You used two words that just teed up my next question. So thank you. You used the word best content. So that leads to the, my question of, are there, is there a couple, let's say two stories that you've covered in the past that you're most proud of? This is such a tough question because there's so many different types of content and stories and articles and videos and things that I've done that I really am proud of. I really, I'm going to throw it all the way back to when I was a cub reporter at the Daily News and I was so young and green and they sent me to just, there was a couple people who were, these kids are protesting. Can you just go and check it out and see what's going on? And that turned into Occupy Wall Street. And I remember at wow. the time as a reporter, I would call the editors, sometimes on pay phones, call them, I'm aging myself, <laughs> to tell them the latest information that I found. They sent me all over. I was in Staten Island. Every day was a new adventure, but they sent me to cover this and they were so underwhelmed about it. They thought it was going to be such a silly story that they might not even publish anything. And I remember calling my editor and saying, there's not that many people here right now but this is going to be something. I can feel it. I know it is. So they're like, all right, fine. Nobody else wants to cover it. Just stay there. And obviously we saw how it grew, but I was there in the very beginning. So I really built these relationships with the original organizers. They really let me into the inner sanctum. And I felt like I got really interesting angles. One of them was about how there was a local pizza place called Librettos or something along those lines. And all these people were call, calling this one pizza place in the Wall Street area and sending pizzas to the protesters because they thought it sounded like liberation. 
and that the pizza place ended up having to double their staff during <laughs> Occupy Wall Street. And they were just like making like huge business. And I remember my editor was like, this was the best story in the newspaper today. And I will never forget someone saying that to me. So there you go. that was definitely one of them. One of the other ones was for the Today Show. I did a, a story on clean beauty, which is a movement about using usually less chemicals in our beauty and skincare, some of which are linked to very negative things like cancer. So it was a really deep dive. You might think beauty or makeup or skincare seem like kind of light topics, but I was reading scientific stories. I was talking to the Personal Care Product Council. I was talking to the FDA. I learned so much. I was back and forth with the NBC legal and standards department. I did a whole video on a beauty farm because a this one company just literally used their own flowers that they grew in their own farm for all of their products. And I did a broadcast segment with Savannah on it and how to read beauty labels. So it was a real labor of love and it was pretty intense for what should seem like a pretty light story, but I learned so much and I had so much fun doing it. Fantastic. I love that throwback to Occupy Wall Street, which by the way, I think that's the first time I've heard that since, I don't know, <laughs> it's been a while, but that's that takes me back a while. I love that story. And then also what you said about the clean beauty, that's all good stuff. So let's bring it back up to present day. Can you share some of the stories you're working on now? And you know, what, I guess, what can we look forward to with the, uh, with the parents section of today.com in the near term? Yeah, I'm so excited. One of the stories, this is actually not my story, but I want to shout it out. One of our writers, Elise wrote a story about trad wives. Have you heard about this as a trend on TikTok and on the internet? Basically, trad wives is short for traditional wives, and they're these, this group of women who basically are cosplaying as what they believe like women of and wives of the 1950s were like, and they want to throw back to a more traditional marriage and traditional gender roles. It's pretty much as reductive as you think, but it's a story is so nuanced. She really talks to everyone. She looks at the story from all angles. Some of what she explores is about how some of what these women are talking about are understandable, that we don't have paid maternity leave in this country across the board, that women are asked to take on a lot in addition to oftentimes do, taking on more of the responsibility when it comes to domestic duties and also often work a full-time job. But their solution is to go back to a time when women couldn't even get credit cards in their own name. So it's really a really interesting one. So I would just recommend that as something really cool to read. For myself, I'm working on a couple of different things. I'm just diving into this role. So excuse me for not having too much. I'm very excited about a story I'm working on. It sounds silly, but there's this toy that actually my son loved and he still sometimes plays with it that's like a little play gym and it has a piano at the end and it plays a couple of songs on it like a lot of these kids toys do but one of the songs has become like a cult favorite among parents there are entire forums dedicated to this song hmm. there are people who have done remixes people who have done memes based on it it's all about this 
it's like one of those things, if you know, you know, it's about a purple monkey in a bubblegum tree. People have literally thrown birthday parties with the purple monkey theme. It's just, the more I dive into it, there's entire blogs and forums just trying to figure out who the singer is. So that's where I'm at right now is I'm reaching out to Fisher Price to figure out, to find out if I can figure out who the singer is and who produced it and who writes it, wrote it. It's just exciting me right now because the farther I go down this rabbit hole, the more I find. And that's actually, I don't normally write, but I plan to write that one myself. That's amazing. And I have so many questions about that. <laughs> is it because the song is catchy? Is that why? Yeah, so, but like um, catchy, like it's a, like to adults? Yeah. So I think okay. it is catchy. I think it's also a lot of these kids toys, which you probably remember, Ross, mm-hmm. are playing like classical music or the yeah. same three like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star songs. And this is like very much a different song a lot of comments which surprised me because i really didn't get emotional about it but a lot of comments talked about how one or two lines in the song makes them cry because it talks about the monkey swinging back to me and people were like oh because my child is going to grow up and then come back to me and everyone's like i cried too when i heard that part so it's like someone was talking about how they felt like the woman singing it was so genuinely emotional about it so i'm dying to know if she's a mom this woman who's singing it if i can track her down so it's there's different aspects to it but it definitely sticks out as a different type of song for kids toys but it's an earworm because once you hear it and i think when a lot of the parents use this toy they hear it 85 times a day you go to sleep singing it you wake up singing it but a lot of people said that they would look at their partner and be like the purple monkey and the they'll come back with the next line it's just this joke among parents who have kids younger than three who are in this small but very funny little club together. It actually started because I saw this very popular playmat in the background of a couple of friends' photos. And any time I saw it, I would text them like something about the purple monkey. And they knew exactly what I meant right away without any context or mention of the picture. So I thought it was just a me thing. And then I discovered that there's a whole community about it. That's wild. We're going to have to check out that song, Ron. I, I, I think I may actually have to Google that because now I'm curious. For sure. We're Googling. <laughs> I'm like a few it. years removed from the, the little kid toys, but I think I just had like PTSD to some of the things that my kids had that where the, the music was quite the opposite and it was absolutely terrible. And it gets stuck in your head and then yeah. there's no sleep. You're freaking out you think you're doing everything wrong and you just have this running tape in your head of some yep. random kid song oh it's a whole nother world out there for sure <laughs> yes sir for sure we're going to talk about penn state in a little bit but i did want to touch upon something after graduating penn state you spent a year in south korea as an esl teacher mm-hmm. amazing I mean, that must have been an amazing experience but i'm curious you had these great internships Daily News, Harper Bazaar, and then you decide to take a year and go to South Korea and be an ESL teacher. Like, what made you you go in that direction? Yeah, so I literally went from graduation, the day of graduation, into a training program for my New York Times internship. It was immediate. So I went right into this internship, which I absolutely loved. They helped set me up at a dorm at NYU for the summer. My internship was coming to an end, and I was lucky enough that I grew up 
not too far away. I grew up in New Jersey. So I was able to work as a freelancer and continue working there for a little bit longer. And it was in that moment of what's my next step? What am I going to do? I graduated in 2009. So we were like post-recession times. Things were felt pretty uncertain in general. And one, one of my best friends called me and told me that her brother was going to teach English in South Korea and we should do this and stop thinking about it because we're going to do this. Just because she knew me and my personality and that I would just find that to be really exciting and an adventure. And like she said, I knew I, I couldn't really say no to that. I had nothing next and I could have continued to apply for jobs and go that direction, but I just felt like I couldn't pass up that opportunity. And it was a whole journey from the beginning, but yeah, I taught preschool actually wow. in South Korea. So the kids, the first thing I learned when I arrived there is they actually count age differently in South Korea. So you're kind, you're considered one year old when you're born. So the mm. kids were a whole year younger than I expected them to be. Whoa. So huh. they told me that they were five years old, which they were, but what they considered five years old and what we considered five years old are different. So they were really young. They were like four and even some of them were like three years old. So they were really preschoolers and some of them had never been in school before. They didn't speak and none of them spoke any English whatsoever. But I worked in, they call it a hagwon, which is basically a private school. I worked in Angnam as in Gangnam Star, if you remember that song. That's the neighborhood in Seoul that I worked. Hey. And yeah, it was it was really cool. It was a great adventure. And what did you learn? What did you learn about yourself being thrown into a foreign country for a year in this adventure that you hadn't really planned? Like when you came back and you came back to the US and looked back on that year, what, what were your reflections? My friend and I, who I always say, describe it that she worked in kind of the Brooklyn to my Manhattan of Seoul. She was like same subway system in a very cool, trendy neighborhood that was outside the center of it. So we had our kind of our own lives that so we saw each other. Um, and then the two of us at the end backpacked for two months afterwards throughout Southeast Asia and we went to India as well. The world just, just seemed so much bigger. I thought that I would feel like I'd seen so much of it and I did, but I also felt like there's just so much more to see. But like I was describing with the way that ages work differently there, there's that famous like David Foster Wallace graduation speech of two fish talking about what is water. There's just certain things that you just think are so obvious and just take for granted as what the truth is and what culture is and what's the perspective and your point of view. And it just blew open my whole world. And I think that it made me probably just more I want to say sympathetic, but I just think it's just made me realize that my perspective is limited in so many ways. And to just really try to hear and understand people with a little bit more of an open ear, which I think I hope helps me as a journalist as well. What an amazing experience. How's your Korean, by the way? pretty bad. <laughs> it was pretty, I had a couple of sentences, I would say, pretty rock solid when I came home. And there are still a few that I can pull out. I am very proud to say that I can sound out Korean, but it, it was really difficult because unlike the romance languages, there's no um, overlap. It's really starting from scratch. You're relearning the alphabet 
you're relearning the structure of a sentence. So I really, I thought I was going to come home fluent <laughs> and that did not happen. <laughs> but but every once in a while, I can pull out a sentence or two as a fun party. And you have some probably good curry and barbecue restaurants recommendations in the city, I imagine too. Yes, we live in Jersey City now and we have an amazing Korean spot by us. Shout out to Ari's Kitchen to anyone who's in the <laughs> Jersey City area. But yeah, I have definitely built a love for Korean food in all its forms. So that's always going to stick with me forever. Amazing. So before we get into Penn State, I have to be a little selfish on this podcast. As you know, I'm, I'm getting married in a couple months. My fiance, Allie, thank you. Thank you. You've been in the journalism and fashion and style space. Like any suggestions for my wedding? What's I'm honored that you're asking me that. <laughs> Truthfully, when it comes to weddings, I think it's just about making it your own and making it personal and feel like the two of you and be what you really want. And so that at the end of the day, you can just enjoy it. And I think there is the hardest part about weddings is just the fact that there's so many opinions and so many people who weigh in and you feel like you have to please. But I think that the two of you can figure out what's most important to you and put your foot down about that. And then for some of the things, let other people have the wins. But as long as you're having fun and you're happy, everyone else will have fun too, because everyone else will feed off of your vibe. So that's, that's not about the style necessarily, but I think that- It's good advice though. Great taste. I'm sure you do too, Jared. <laughs> It'll be beautiful, so. Yeah, we're looking forward to it and share the same sentiments and let's just have a good time celebrate with friends and family and no drama, no major decisions, hopefully not too stressful. Like we're trying to keep this one simple and fun. Absolutely. I think that's the way to go. So you guys are going to be great. Awesome. So we're going to put you in the lines then brought to you by our friends at Lions Pride. Reminisce about your time at Penn State. Remember to visit lions-pride.com to pick up your wrestling and basketball gear as the teams compete in the Big Ten tournaments. There you go. Emily, how has Penn State prepared you for the early part of your career and professional life? So think about when you were graduating and then jumped into the first couple of years post-graduation. How did Penn State influence that? In, in more ways than I can count, to be honest. I mentioned that I took an editing class my senior year. I put it off because I really thought I was just going to hate it and it was going to be super dry grammar. I took an editing class with Professor Marie Hardin, who's now the Dean of the College of Communications. She's just, I cannot sing her praises more. She was just such an incredible teacher and educator. And I loved that class. She introduced me to the internship that ended up being my New York Times internship. I was really worried. It took, it needed an essay. I had to take a test. It was a pretty in-depth application process and she really walked me through it. So I really credit her with helping me like just launch my career in the first place. And I also have to do a shout out to Tony Barbieri, I think is still there. Just a journalism professor who I really loved, who was just the editor that I always like imagined that I'd work with. So he really helped me become a writer, which I think you need to become a writer before you become an editor. And he and I actually worked together on launching a international reporting, which we did, I think it was my, my senior year. And I'm pretty sure they still do it, but we went to Mexico city and I'm pretty sure that they still are doing that class. I hope they are. I hope cool. the COVID didn't stop it, but 
long story short, most of all, I still work with a bunch of Penn Staters. There's a few Penn Staters on my team. There's a bunch of Penn Staters at today, and there's a whole lot at NBC. So I feel like that kind of feeling, that family community feeling of Penn State just follows you wherever you go. And it certainly has for me. I got to say, Russ and I have had a number of people on from the College of Comms. Mm -hmm. College of Comms so good mm -hmm. at like helping students get connected, yep. internships, jobs. Yes. I think we're always impressed when we have our guests and they talk about the impact of the professors and just like the network and college of communications. It's 100%. so interesting because people always warn me about that, about going to a big school that you won't get that individual personalized attention. And I felt like I had so much support at Penn State. I really do. And they really helped me find not only a career and a job, but a path that I, that felt right for me. That's great. Amazing. Toughest question of the podcast favorite Penn State memory? Oh, impossible. Impossible. <laughs> impossible. Yes. I can't narrow it down. I have to list a few. Go for um, it. I have to say Thon because I was a Thon dancer and I'm sure I'm not the only one who says Thon, but what an amazing thing that Penn State does. What a weekend to be a, so proud of Penn State. And every year that Thon happens, I just it just brings me back there and it makes me so happy and proud to be a Penn Stater. But my one for one of my personal ones is I remember the first whiteout Penn State game. I was at Penn State during that. And that is a point of pride for sure. Okay, just one more because I have to. But that first day where there, it's actually sunny and warm at Penn State in Happy Valley every year, that's just like every year that's the best day at Penn State. Which happens to be finals week and you have a final, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm what kidding. final? Just skip yeah. it. <laughs> All right. If you could go back and visit with yourself as an 18-year-old freshman, you're just you said, I'm going to Penn State and you're getting ready to go up there in August for the first time and get started. If you could go back and meet with that version of Emily, what advice would you share with her? Ooh, that's a good one. In so many ways, I wouldn't change my experience and what my road was because I think it led me to where I am now and I'm really happy with where I am now. But I also feel like I was so worried about failing, about doing things wrong that I might have stopped myself from doing, getting more involved and trying new things that, yeah, I was so scared to apply for the Daily Collegian. I went by that office so many times throughout my four years and I always was too nervous to try because I just told myself I couldn't do it. And in hindsight, I really wish I had that experience. So yeah, I think I just wish that I would tell myself to just have more confidence but I think that might just come with age and time. And along the advice lines, when you find out someone is considering Penn State, maybe they've got a couple of colleges in their top three, you know, what do you tell them? Why should they choose Penn State? For I can only say what really drew me to Penn State. I think that I went to visit Penn State and went on the tour and I just fell in love with it. It was the raw spirit. It was the community that we mentioned. It was just the um, the feeling that everybody was really happy and excited to be there and wanted to be there and wanted to be a part of something bigger. And then there's that side to it. And then my story of getting that kind of personal attention and help and support, which is like to have that at such a big school, to have both of those things, to have a school where you can feel like you 
get that kind of handholding academic academically and that kind of help from the professionals and yet also have this big school vibe where everyone wears the Penn State gear everywhere you go and goes to the football games and can feel like they're a part of something that's so much bigger and so has so much history to it is so cool to have in one place. From my experience, I think everyone should go. But yeah, I would definitely tell people that's what makes Penn State so special and so unique. Aside from your colleagues that you work with that are Penn Staters, how else do you feel most connected to the university today? It's so much about the relationships for me. I have so many of my closest friends are people I met at Penn State, the colleagues, but also just um, like friends that I met who I have kept in touch with, who I see, who I run into. And it's just this network, for lack of a better word. And it's an instant connection. You you meet somebody else, meeting the two of you, you meet somebody else who went to Penn State and you automatically have something kind of special in common and a language that nobody else really totally understands. If you can talk about Gumby's and Canyon Pizza, like you just <laughs> know the other person immediately. You, you know, Gum Gumby's is gone. No. <laughs> and so is the G-Man I heard. Yeah. Maybe I'm oh, aging yeah. myself. Yeah. Well, forever in our hearts. Yes. Pour one out. That's true. Things sometimes change, but uh, the feeling. The canyon's big bucket of ranch is still there, right? <laughs> I think so. Or no, did so they get does. shut down for the health? I don't know. They got I don't shut know. Down. We got to find out. We got to find out. There's always something happening in state colleges where, yeah. Anyway, so many good Fine stories, so many good on. memories. Thanks for joining us. This has been a great 40 minutes. I was thinking as you were talking about some of the stories, you sit on one side of the computer, right? And you're like hitting publish on a story. But then there's so many people that you're impacting that you probably don't even have a true idea of the impact that you have on a daily basis. And it's just so fascinating and just speaks to you as a person, you as a professional, you as a Penn Stater, once again, this common theme of Penn Staters really leaving a true impact on people and society. And you're certainly one of them. And we're really happy that you were able to join us tonight. Thank you so much, Jared. Yeah. Every once in a while, someone will reach out and say what a story meant to them. And it brings it all full circle. And it really like puts in perspective what we do and why we do what we do and why we I care bet. so much about those details. I bet. I'm glad people reach out to you from time to time so you can remember that impact and feel it as well. Wait till you, she gets all the feedback on this purple monkey story. That's going <laughs> exactly. to knock her socks off. <laughs> the most important story of the decade. Yeah. It's Can't my wait. Woodward Bernstein moment. Oh my God. So great. We're going to Google that after this podcast, but we always end the podcast with we are. Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruta production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.